Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming out. What in the world is going on? Part two. Tonight. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This morning we looked at um, expressions of my mother, what in the world is going on. And we looked at, first of all, that the world had a leader. We read uh, together this morning in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. If that wasn't in the Bible, we might have trouble uh, believing that. And really, only Christians can see that, right? Your eyes have to be open to this uh, world of darkness. Uh, people in the world don't see it like that. They obviously do not see what's happening in the background. But isn't it a privilege, Christian, to know these things? To be able to read about that? To understand why the world is the way it is? I love that. I, I, I just love, uh, you know, putting the pieces together and seeing how God is allowing uh, things to happen in this world. It's wonderful to be on the, the, the right side. It's wonderful to be, as the psalmist says, you know, uh, I have more wisdom than the ancients, more than, than the elders. Why? Because our eyes are open. We see these things. They're in the Bible. And, and we read about them. So the world has a leader. We, we read that the world has a spirit. It's the spirit of the Antichrist that it's at work even today in this world. The world has a philosophy and a wisdom. And, and we see it operating uh, today. It's, it's that selfishness. It's meology. And you know what? It's crept into the church. It's crept into the church. People, you know, what can I get out of a meeting? And they hop around and hop around. And, and you know, a lot of people never even go to a local church. And uh, they're born again. They're disobeying, disobeying God. But you know what? I don't get anything out of it. You know how many times I've heard that? Ah, uh, you know what? It just doesn't meet my needs. Because they're into meology. They're into the world's philosophy and the world's wisdom. And then we read this morning that the world has a religion. Remember, Satan is a religious being. You know, the... Uh, the Hitchens of the world and the, uh, the, uh, a, 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 the uh, atheists of the world. Uh, you know what? Satan doesn't use those people. He uses them perhaps a little bit, but they don't influence a lot of the world because people are religious beings. And Satan knows that. And he's created a religion. And even though there's a lot of isms in the world, there's a lot of different types of religion. They're all based on one thing. Working your way to heaven. It's do. What do I need to do? I need to follow this or do this, get baptized, uh, whatever it is, right? And I was into that. I was into the religion of the world. It's the opposite of the only true religion. And that is... It's already done. It's been done by Christ. So tonight, let's read a, another one. We're going to hit eight points. So we've already hit mm, five, I think. And uh, we're going to look at the world has its own form of repentance. Now read here with me. Uh, Paul writing a letter. Uh, it, it's really stirred up the folks in Corinthians, in, in Corinth. And... Um, he sent a scathing letter, letter, 1 Corinthians. And um, he's getting now the response to his letter, 2 Corinthians. And chapter 7, look what he says. Even if I caused you sorrow, verse 8, by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, because your sorrow led to repentance. 
For you became sorrowful as God intended, so you were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Well, there the world has a form of repentance, doesn't it? It's based on, I got caught. I see this in the prisons all the time. When I go into the prison ministry, uh, you see guys there and, you know, we, we don't know uh, what eternity will tell us about, you know, I've been going to the prisons, I guess, for about 27, 28 years. Thousands and thousands of, of men and women that I've talked to that are incarcerated. And I don't know the results of that, but I'll tell you generally what I see. People come and we thank God that they come to these meetings in the prisons. And uh, generally, though, when you talk to them one-on-one, there's a lot of regret, but very little repentance. The regret is they got caught. The regret is they got caught. And you know, the Bible, if you want to see example of that, think of the, um, the difference between Saul, the first king of Israel... And David, the second king of Israel. Let me give you an example of what I'm saying. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, you remember this. Saul was told by God through Samuel that he was going to go and destroy all of the Amalekites, All of them. The men, women, boys and girls, children... Their livestock, everything was set for destruction by God. Because of the way the Amicalites, and God never forgets, never forgets the way the Amicalites had treated the nation of Israel. And the cup was now full, and God said, you know what, the time's run out. And uh, we, what happens? Well, Saul... You know, he doesn't do what God told him to do. He spared Agag, the king of the Amicalites, and he uh, took the best of the flocks and the best of the goods, and then uh, Samuel confronts him about it. He said, look, hey, Samuel, as Samuel is coming, hey, I did what what you told me to do. Isn't that wonderful? And, And Samuel is not a happy puppy because he had a dream the night before. And God had told him that he was going to dispose of this king because of the heart of the king was not right. And by the time he caught up to him, uh, it was told that he had gone to Gilgal and he set up a monument to himself, you see. And then, so, and, and then Samuel says to, uh, to the um, uh, king Saul, you know, Saul, there was a time you were small in your own eyes. You started out that way, but now you're full of pride. And you disobeyed exactly what God told you to do. And what's this bleeding of sheep? But bleep, bleep, you know, can I have the sheep? Uh, you know, Samuel can hear it. Like, you're telling me something? Well, what's these sheep doing here? Oh, well, we want to sacrifice these things to God. See, disobedience, rebellion. And you know what? But not repentance. Read the chapter. There's no repentance. There's regret because he got caught. And then we read in in 2 Samuel and chapter 12, I believe, where Nathan the prophet goes to David. Now, we don't have to tell you the whole story about David. You know it. Him and Bathsheba, right? A real dark time in David's life. Can you imagine? And here he is, Nathan comes. I I love this story in this sense. I love it because of the courage of Nathan. And you know what, Christian? Sometimes it takes courage to confront someone who's not living the way they should for the Lord. It's not always easy, right? Sometimes to just, in a loving way, confront a person that is walking down the wrong path. That's not an easy job. And pray for your elders because they often have to do it. But sometimes you'll be put in that position too. To talk to a person 
that's walking out of line. But Nathan, I love the courage of him. And he goes up, tells a story. You remember the story. And then uh, he, he says, David! David! You're the man! David, you're the one that I'm talking about here. David, you're the one who committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the Hittite, killed. You're the one, David. But you see, David's response was much different than that of Saul. David's response was no excuses. I agree with the diagnosis. I did it. Forgiven at that very moment. Do you remember the story of um, Jacob coming back from spending 20 years in a place that he'd only thought he'd be there for a little while? And he comes and there's a wrestling match, WWF. Remember that? I love wrestling. <laughs> and he wrestles with God all night. All night. And, and, and what happened is, and, and you know what? Um, here's the question that was asked, and it's always amazing to me, because the question God asks is, Jacob, what's your name? Jacob? What's your name? And finally, after a long wrestling match of all night, Jacob said, my name is Jacob. Meaning that, you're right, God, I was named properly because I am a deceiver and I have been a deceiver all of my life. And if you read from that point on, not only did he walk with a limp, because God touched a socket, one of the, the strongest muscles uh, in the entire body, in the tendons, in around that hip, are right there. And you know what? Jacob never walked the same again. But he did never walk the same again, because he walked a different path. Because of repentance. Because of repentance. Folks, the world has its own form of repentance, and it's not repentance at all, it's regret. And it leads to what it led to Saul in his life, and that was what? Death. How many times was Saul, he could have been killed by David. His life was spared. David was a man after God's own heart. David, you remember those stories, right? He had Saul at his mercy. All he had to do was... Let him have it. He spared Saul. But you know what? Saul never repented of his life. Folks, you know how many people are in hell at this very moment whose lives were of the world and of the world's regret and they regret where they are. They regret and they have a memory of every time they had a chance to repent and turn around and follow the, God, the Lord God of heaven. They had a chance. There isn't anybody in hell that has never had a chance to repent. But unless you repent, you shall likewise perish, the Bible tells us. You see, folks, the world has its own form of repentance, and it's called regret. How many people are living in there? The world has its affections. We read in John's Gospel in chapter 15, we read of the affections. You know what? Here's what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 15. The world will love its own. Christian, don't try and be loved by the world. The only way you're going to be loved by the world is if you act like the world. They'll love you if you deny the Lord Jesus Christ in your living. Oh, maybe you won't say it, but maybe the way we live, uh, we're, uh, we're popular with the world. You'll never win a popularity contest. 
if you're a Christian and you're following Jesus Christ. Remember that the world hates Jesus Christ. So there's no use soft-pedaling the message to that extent, right? Think about it. The world hates Jesus Christ. And remember, and I was telling you the story of, I, I, I was saying it to Rosie, I remember, you know, I was so upset the night at my, uh, my wife's, my sister's funeral. You can imagine the emotion. She was 35 years old. You can imagine the heartbreak of that funeral, even though I knew she was gone to be with the Lord. But here's all my family, all no, unbe no believers in the family. And uh, uh, Rosie and I at the wake, you know, over at, uh, you know, people are drinking, you know, they had a few drinks. And you know what drinks, you know what alcohol does? Doesn't, it, it, it can make you a fool, but it'll, the truth will come out. And I saw the hatred of my brothers for me. I tell you that broke my heart. I, I don't know if that didn't break my heart more than my sister passing away. I don't know. I can't tell you. I was crushed when I saw my brother try to literally, if he had got his hands on me, if people hadn't come in between us, he would have tried to kill me. I know it. And he's a big man. He would have, he would have physically. He, I never seen him so angry. Uh, but, you know, uh, and then, uh, then my other brother, who's uh, six foot three, six foot four, and big, used to be a policeman, and uh, has got a temper, but see, he was having a drink. And then the truth came out about him, too. I could see him on the corner of my eye. He was trying to get at me, because you see, now for years I've been built up in him anger, because I left the Catholic Church. And I brought disappointment to my father and to my mother. And, and, you know, I could see the brother, my brother Tom, out of the corner of my eye. I love that man dearly. And I could see the hatred. If he could just, if he could have thrown a punch, he would have tried to kill me. But, you know, on the way home, and I was crying to Rosie. And we, when we drove home that night. And you know what? I remembered this. It's not me. It's not me they hate. It's Jesus Christ they hate. And you know what? I was comforted by that. I was comforted by that. It wasn't me. It wasn't me as much as it was Jesus Christ. The world hates Jesus. The world hates Jesus. Let's not forget that, Christian. We're not here to win a popularity contest. And then, the world, the world has... A man. And the world has a city. Now this is speaking more to us about the future of the world. So let me explain what I'm saying here. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 10. I don't know if you noticed or not. I haven't turned on the iPad yet. Well, there it is. Just want to make sure I haven't forgotten any of these points. The world has a city, and the world has a man. Genesis uh, chapter 10, and let me read a few verses to you. We're going to speak of this one called Nimrod. Nimrod, verse uh, two, uh, 7 of Genesis chapter 10. Just read a verse or two here, and then we'll read a little bit in chapter 11. The sons of Cush. Cush was the son of who? Ham. One of the three sons of who? Noah. Right? So Noah's grandson. Right? Is that what we're going to read about here? Think of that godly man, Noah. Here's, we're going to talk about one of his grandsons. God doesn't have any grandchildren. I've got 11 of them. But God doesn't have any grandchildren. You know what I mean by that, right? <laughs> Every generation comes on their own to Christ. But doesn't it show you? Doesn't it show you, Christian? Think of this for a minute. It, it blew me away when I started thinking of this. Here is Noah. And Noah's son, Ham, lived through the flood. 
Saved, can you imagine? We don't know how many people, but maybe millions. We don't know. But there was several hundred thousand at least. When you go into genealogies and just think of descendants, there must have been at least that. Maybe millions of people on the earth. Eight are saved. Ham is one of them. Praise God, you would think he'd be saying, right? But here we're going to read about his son. His, his, uh, his um, sorry, Noah was his uh, great-grandfather, wouldn't he be? Here's the son of Ham, Cush. And Cush's sons are, uh, let's read about Nimrod. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. And the first centers of his kingdom were Babylon. And we'll stop there. We'll stop there. Go to, go to Genesis chapter 11. You know this very well. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found the plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we, make an, we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And then we know what happens. The Lord comes down and creates the French language. <laughs> the hardest language in the human uh, dialects, I can tell you, is French. I think. <laughs> it's a difficult. I'm a Frenchman, and believe me, it's a difficult language, but I, I thank the Lord for what he did there. But, okay, so uh, what's the idea of this? This is rebellion, right? Babylon is a symbol of rebellion against God. Nimrod is a symbol of a rebel. He was told what to do. He didn't do it. And Nimrod, by the way, was a very religious man. Well, okay, what, what's the point of this? Well, the world still and will have a city. And that city will be Babylon. Now, is that actually going to be the name of it? Or is it just what it represents? When we read Revelation chapter 17 and, and chapter 18, we read about the fate of Babylon. But what does Babylon represent? Coming together. Think about it for a minute. The world, folks, and we can see it already, is coming together. It's coming together politically. You wouldn't think it, but it's going to happen. The Bible tells us that there will be a dictator who will come, like Nimrod, and he'll bring the world together. And... He'll have a world political system and he'll have a world uh, religious system. He'll use um, the Hur, as we're told in Revelation chapter 17, to put himself in power and to take over the world. So there'll be a world government politically. Uh, and there will be economically, we know that, right? That people, uh, you know, I, I, I've said to you this before. You can go over to China. I've used this card right here in China. Take it out of my wallet just to show you. There's a Canadian bank card. It's got a chip on it. And I went over to China and I was scared skinny to put that in an ATM machine in China because I didn't know what was going to happen to it. Think about it, right? Here I was. I didn't know very many people. I'd gone over there on a business meeting, but I needed some money over there. And I put that in there, and, you know, right up in the English language in, in uh, the middle of nowhere in China, click, 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 put my pin in, and within uh, uh, faster than it happens here. Because here they asked me for a, if I wanted to pay the fee first, Right? But over in China, they just, man, that, that money came out. I didn't even know how much, like they told me how much they gave me, but I didn't understand yen, right? But you know what? Isn't that something, folks? Think about that. You and I live in that. We live in the world already. 
Yeah, yeah, how could you preach that a hundred years ago? They did, but they didn't know what we know today, right? Think of it. A world dictator. A one world government. Do you think it could happen? Absolutely. I'd tell you if the economy in the United States, think about this for a minute, was to turn the corner and that your dollar, the U.S. dollar, which is losing a lot of its value even as we speak, folks, what happens if that dollar collapsed? What would happen? Think about it. And then inflation rose, uh, you know, hundreds of, uh, of times. It could happen, folks. I mean, you guys are $17 trillion in debt. Our province of Ontario, we're worse in debt per capita than California is. Did you know that? They're drunk spending money that they don't have. You know what, folks? It just seems to me, I don't know this stuff. Maybe I'm kind of, I'm a simple person. But I just think at the end of the day, one of these times, you know what's going to happen? We're going to pay the price for that kind of spending. The dollar will be worth nothing. Think about that. Do you think that the world dictator could then come on the scene? Orchestrated by Satan himself? The Antichrist and promising this and promising that and people are desperate. Do you think that's possible? I tell you, folks, it's possible. Think of 208. Think of the value. When I bought my place down here in Florida, there were people that were desperate. They were so upside down on their mortgages. Think about it for a second. The guy begged me to buy his place. You know, we live in it. We're living in it. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know when the Lord's going to come back. I don't know that. But I know we're, we, we see this happening. Folks, the world has a city. It's Babylon. And the world is going to come together under a ruler like Nimrod. And he's going to be the Antichrist. Now, the good news is, if you belong to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, we won't be here. We'll be out of here. Because we're not appointed unto wrath. But the wrath of God's going to come. But think of all these things. And the world, lastly, number eight. The world has its attractions. The world has its attractions. There's three ways that I'm scared of dying. Tell you a little bit about myself. When I first got saved, I said, Lord, send me anywhere except where there's snakes. <laughs> I don't like snakes, right? I got a real fear of snakes, right? The second one is of heights. Okay? I, I, I mean, I, I just watch people, even on TV, and they're climbing a real high mountain, and I, I start... Making sure that there's ground underneath me. I, I can fly. It doesn't bother me to fly because I, I can feel that. But you put me out on an edge like I brought my grandchildren to the CN Tower, which used to be in Toronto, used to be the tallest tower in the world until they built one taller in, in Dubai, I believe. But, you know, my grandchildren, you know, they're laughing. You know, running around, Grandpa, come here, look, look down here. Okay, because it's a glass floor. I couldn't even look. Because I'm thinking... I can't handle I'm going to have a heart attack right here on the top of the CN Tower because of the height thing, right? One time Rosie and I were skiing out west, and there's a, uh, a, 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 a Whistler in, in British Columbia, Canada. You don't got no mountains like we got. Oh, well, I guess you do. Okay, doesn't matter. But uh, I would, there's a place, and I love skiing, and... Um, you get to the top of Whistler, and then there's, there's, there's another one called, um, I, I, I think it's called the Cliff Mount. What's it called? I can't remember. But anyway, you got to take, like you go up in the gondola, you're up 7,000 feet. And then there's another one that goes up to the very top. Uh, there's another, it's called the Peak. That's what it's called, the Peak. And Rosie and I are there, and our friends that were with us, from the chapel in Timmins, went skiing for a holiday. And they, they were going up there. You know, my buddy Ralph, he's got no fear of anything. 
And I think, I got to go up there because I got to, you know, I want. Once I'm up, I don't care because once there's ground, I can ski down. We get up in that thing, and it, it's two seater, 2,000 foot drop from the top. So we're going up, and you're going up on, on uh, this angle, and click, 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 click. And I'm thinking, Jesus, Jesus, listen to me now. I know that if I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I know that all the verses are coming to me. I know I'm saved. I said, Jesus, please, make sure this thing does gets right to the top. I can't look. My wife's saying, breathe, breathe. Because Rosie, she's not scared of heights. It's not bothering her one bit. And I'm there. I got two hands on that bar because there's a little bar in front of us. And I'm sitting and I'm praying. And it stops. We were literally, from me to Malcolm, 2,000 foot drop, but there was still about 10 feet to go. It stops! <laughs> I tell you, I have never been so scared in my life. And the prayers, I was Pentecostal, I was charismatic, I was everything, but not lifting my hands. I was praying in the Spirit, I was, I mean it. And a few minutes later, what seemed like eternity, guess what, the thing got started again, and bloop, 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 we got on there. And Anyway, that's some fears. But you know what my third fear is? Sharks. Sharks. I don't do oceans. I check the pools in Florida to make sure there's no sharks, right? Just telling you about my fears, okay? I don't, and you know how many shark attacks in Florida last year? 23. Oh, yeah, my wife said, there are no sharks here. I said, how do you know? You don't know if there's a shark there or not. You know? So, but folks, here's the point I was trying to make. 23 shark attacks in Florida last year. But do you know how many people died in Florida last year on the, uh, in the ocean? Over 150. You know how they died? Undertow. Undertow. Folks, that's the world. The world has an undertow. It can be deadly for Christians, you know. It's a constant pull. It'll pull at you. The world wants you to be like it. It's a constant undertow. That's what you and I have to deal with. And folks, listen to me for a minute. If you think you got this licked, can I bring you three case histories of people who you will meet in heaven that are a lot stronger Christians than Tony Martin. And can I tell you about that? One of them, his name is in the Hall of Faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, that's name, his name was Samson. The other's name was Lot. And we know he's in heaven because of what we read in Second Peter. And the other one is a name that may be a little less familiar to us. One who traveled with the Apostle Paul and his name was Demas. Folks, those are three case histories that are there for our admonition. And if those people, including, let me give you a fourth one, Solomon, was sucked in by this undercurrent, this toe. And you know, my wife's a real swimmer. A real swimmer. I think I married a, a mermaid. Okay? Rosie's a tremendous swimmer. And all of my kids and my grandchildren, because of her, not because of me. I, I'm not bad. I think I could outswim her if there was a shark there. Right? But all I'm saying is, Rosie has, uh, has experienced that in her life, the undertow. In, when the current, you know, they tell you it, it pulls you out. And out. Somebody died last week. In in uh, a Canadian died in um, in Cancun last week. Ten feet from shore. 
swimming. His little guy got caught in an undertow. His boy, he went out to get him, and he got pulled out and pulled out, pulled out. They saved the boy, but not, not the father. Folks, but I, here's the illustration is that, isn't it? Is that you and I need to be careful. You and I need to be careful because the world, remember, under the sway of the wicked one, is out to get you. He, one thing Satan knows, folks, he knows enough of the Bible is this, he cannot have your soul. He knows that. He can't have your soul. But he wants your life. He wants to get you hooked so that you'll be just like the rest of the world and that he'll have you in his back pocket. He knows, he, he knows you'll wash up on the beach in heaven. He knows you'll get there. But in the meantime, he wants to neutralize your influence on the folks around you, folks. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a verse, let me give it to you. Take heed that he that thinketh he standeth, lest he fall. I tell you, folks, I, I know the, the attraction uh, 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 of the world. I can tell you by personal experience. Personal experience. How the world can grip you and get you sidetracked. The world has its affections. What are we to do? What are you and I to do? Let me bring you four, maybe five points, and I'll get done maybe on time. But I'll try. I mean it. Number one, here's what we, you and I need to do. We need not to love the world. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world or the things of the world. Anyone that loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, do not come from God, but they are of the world. And the world and its lusts are passing away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John 2 and verse 15 through 18. Let me give you another one. James chapter 4 and verse 4. Probably my most unfavorite verse in all the Bible. You adulterers and you adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? And don't you know, or do, if anyone that chooses to be a friend of the world is what? Is an enemy of God. Imagine that. Folks, if that was not in the Bible, you'd never really believe that, right? How could a Christian become an enemy of God? You can become an enemy of God, not that, listen, not that you will ever lose your salvation, folks, but you become an enemy of God when you love this world. When Jesus said in John uh, chapter 3 that God so loved the world, he was not talking about the world system that I'm talking about right now. He was talking about the people of the world, folks. And you and I are loved to love the people of the world, but we're not to love the world system because it's at enmity with God. It goes against what God, uh, God's kingdom. So we're not to love the world. It says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2, set your affection, see the word affection? Set your affections on things above, not on things below. You and I, folks, are to love Jesus Christ. We are to set our affections on the next world. Secondly, we're not to be conformed to the We're not to love the world, and we're not to be conformed to the world. Where is that found? Romans chapter 12, right? The Apostle Paul, he says this, I beseech you. Meaning that this is the least you can do, Christian. For what God has done for you. Paul has made an argument. He said, therefore, because of all the blessings and because of Romans, what a tremendous book. It tells us that, we, that where we came from, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we find out that now we're justified by faith. Paul says this. 
I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship, or the least you can do. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The only way to know God's will in your life, Christian, is you have to be uh, not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? The Word of God. Every day. Every day. I'm, I, I'm a nutritionist, right? Every day. Every day, you've got to eat. Oh, Dr. Martin, you know, I, I feel better when I don't eat. You've got to eat. And every day, you've got to take the manna. You've got to take the bread of life, folks, so that you're not conformed to the world. How many Christians have anorexia of the Word of God? They don't know nothing about the Word of God. Then there's no match. When, when that attraction comes from the world, there's no match because they have no sword to fight against it. Folks, we're not to be conformed. You're either transformed or you're conformed. There, you know, half and half is good for coffee, that's all. Right? That's all it's good for, folks. It's never good in the Christian experience. You can't be half Christian, half in the world. You can't do it. We're not to be conformed. We're not to love the world. We're, uh, we're to be crucified to the world, third. Galatians 6 and 14. I have been crucified to the world, right? I have been crucified, Paul said. And I yet I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I live, I live now by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You're crucified to the world. What does that mean, the word crucified, dead? Uh, taking the world and literally crucifying it. You know what it is, folks? It's seen right through it. I remember as a baby Christian, being... Um, I don't know if I would use the word mesmerized, but I was, I, I remember as a baby Christian reading the book of Ecclesiastes and, 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 and getting my grips on, on what Solomon was trying to say. And he was saying to me as a young Christian, think about this for a minute, Tony, I tried everything. I tried it all. I tried all the world has to offer. That's really what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. It's about the world and Solomon, who was David's son, anointed by God, a godly man. Someone who think of what he wrote in the Bible. Solomon, think of the, the Bible says he was the richest man that ever lived and probably will ever live in terms of his net worth. And he was the wisest man that ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, Solomon. And yet, and yet, he got caught. He got caught by the world. Folks, we're no match for the world. And what did, what did Solomon say at the end of it? What, what, was the, what was the theme of Ecclesiastes? Vanity. He said, Tony, I remember as a young man, 30 years old when saved, and I started reading the book of Ecclesiastes within the first couple of months of getting saved. I thank God I read it. I thank God that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart about it. And he says, you know what, Tony? All that stuff that you chase, all that stuff that you chased as a young man, fame, money, whatever else you chased in your life, you'll come up empty every time. It took Solomon till he became an old man and wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And he wrote it to young people, didn't he? You read it. <laughs> uh, you read it. He wrote that book to young people saying, Look, don't have to try it, folks. I've tried it. Wine, women, song, you name it. Pl houses and land and, 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 and servants. And you name the life, folks, of the rich and famous. Solomon was at the top of the food chain. And he says, it's vanity. It's vanity. 
We overcome, folks. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. I'll close with this. We overcome the world by our faith. That's what it says. We overcome the world by our faith. So we don't want to just crucify it. We don't want to be over, just uh, to, not to be conformed to it. We don't want uh, not just to uh, not love the world, but we're told that we win the victory over the world by faith. What's that mean? Well, you and I live by faith. You and I live by faith. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as the word of God speaks to our hearts, we realize that God's promises are true and amen. And we're ready to forsake this world. We realize that this world is not our home. It's really not. We realize that this world has an expiry date on it. And we're on the Titanic as we speak. I'm not going to put all my eggs in this basket. That's what faith is, folks. Faith gives you vision that the world can't see, but you and I can see. We can see that the world is headed for its destiny. And you know what? I don't want to put all my eggs in this basket. What a poor investment that would be. Can you imagine the people getting to heaven and, and all of their eggs were put in this basket? You know how many people, patients I talked to in 2008 when there was a correction in the stock market that their portfolio went down 80, 90, 100%? They're working on, you know, there's a commercial in Canada called Freedom 55. Like if you put your money in the right place, you're going to be uh, retired at 55. I don't know if you have ever seen that commercial, but it's a Canadian insurance company. Well, they're an investment company, right? You can invest. Come on, invest with us. Freedom 55. Well, you know what? A lot of people that invested with them are working now on Freedom 85. Because their net worth just went boom. Overnight. Overnight. Folks, don't put your eggs all in this basket. And then lastly, I said I was going to, I lied. <laughs> Sorry. We're to be witnesses to the world. We're to be witnesses to the world. Think of salt. Think of a light. You're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. God has wants us to... He did not call us out. If you read John's Gospel, you're not called out of the world, though, folks. You're not to live in a commune. You're not to do that. And you know, listen, I know things are different down here, but I just want to share something. Parents, I know you're terrified of your kids. I understand that. I, I'm a daddy. <laughs> and I'm a granddaddy. Okay? I, 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 I got a real concern for my kids. I know how attractive this world is. I know how wicked this world is. But you know what? Don't be scared to send your kids out. I'll tell you something. There's no better evangelist than your children. You think you go knocking on doors and that's all good. And I love going to the beach because uh, I got that built-in microphone. I love doing that. I mean it. I love sharing the, my faith with people. But you know what, folks? I found out over the years, and Rosie and I would, would both agree with this, that over the years I've seen my children, my four kids, lead more people to Jesus Christ in the schools, in the university system, I've seen those kids bring more people to Jesus Christ. Because you know what, folks? The young generation, listen to me while I say this, parents, because I know what you're thinking. You've got to protect those little ones, and I want you to, but you've got to let them go. You've got to let them speak. And if you just corral them and they never get, whoops, if you never get to, uh, God was telling me, relax, okay. <laughs> If you don't understand this, there's so few people that will come to the Lord when they get older. It happens. I was in on a delivery the other day. It was so thrilling in my office. I had nothing to do with it, by the way. Just was there on the delivery. 
You know, a baby in Christ at 30-something years old, you know, just broken and the wheels on the bus came off in her life and, and we shared the gospel, my son and I, we tied team her for, for a minute and she, she, she trusted Jesus Christ. I love that. That's fun. But nothing, nothing like what those kids can do. You see those little kids that get paraded up here and they're preaching their little verses? You see those lovely little ones? I love those kids. You know what I pray when they're up preaching those verses? When they're saying those verses? Say, God, use those little wee ones to talk to their friends. You know what, folks? Let me share something with you. This world is coming apart at the seams. I'll tell you, as the time of the end comes, the people you want to see unhappiness... You want to see unhappiness? You want to see? There's no families left in the world. There's very few. You're, you're oddballs, by the way. You know that, eh? Where mommy and daddy are around? You know what? In my grandsons, uh, one of my grandsons' classes, 80% of the kids in his class come from a broken home. What a better opportunity for our kids to be a bright and shining light in a dark world. You know those poor kids where they don't even know who daddy is in a lot of cases. They don't know. And they're broken people, I'm telling you. And you know what? We're scared to send our kids out. We're terrified to send them out. God didn't say, here's what Jesus said, I didn't take you out of the world. But I pray, he says, that you'll be protected from the evil one. And our God is able. And Christian, let me encourage you. Build little evangelists in those children. Build the little evangelists in those children. So that they can go in the highways and byways of this world and preach forth the gospel of Jesus Christ. People need to hear it. Those kids need to hear it. That there's hope in this dark world. We're to witness to the world. We're not to love it, but we love the people of the world. Give us a compassion for people. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you again, O God. Thank you for these beautiful folks here tonight, Lord. You know their hearts and you know where they're at. And I pray, Father, that you take these thoughts, Father, of the world that we live in. And, Father, just speak to all of us here tonight. Remind us again and again and again, Father, how much you love us and you gave yourself for us. Father, that we want to be witnesses to this dying and dark world, Father. And I pray, God, for every family. Oh, Father, would you just... Oh, Lord, protect them from uh, the evil one here. Father, let us go forth, Father, with your power and your might. Greater is he, let me be reminded, Father, of your word. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Father, I thank you for that verse that reminds us we're on the victory side of Christ. Father, bless these precious folks, Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.